Dan, if I were to tell you that you got the shine, what would you think? Like right now, 2021, I was like, hey, my dude, you got the shine. What if you, you told me telepathically, I'd believe you. <laughs> if, so if, if telepathically, I was like, you got the shine, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, you'd also have to be like, hey, Danny, do you want some ice cream? Or no, Doc, you want, you want ice cream? <laughs> I think that's why he said it. He was like, I'm going to freak this kid out for a second. Let me open with something he likes, ice cream. And he's like, yo, you know how I know? <laughs> you know how I know you like ice cream? Because <laughs> you're a kid. Also, you got the shine. <laughs> I got the shine too. Um, yeah, a bit creepy. Uh, listen, uh, let's jump into it because why not? Uh, listen, this is Required Watching, where we watch the essential films from the list of cinematic influencers and talk about them in, through the lens of learning about filmmaking and how to move forward. I'm Trey Epps. I'm Danny Taverner. Dan, I must say, you sound so good with your mic. I'm not going to uh, lie to you. You mean this blue snowball? What's it called? That sounds right. That sounds yeah. about right. Uh, today we're talking about the 1980 film, The Shining. Uh, it's about a family who heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where a sinister presence influences the father into violence while his psychotic, sorry, psychic son <laughs> sees horrific forebo- forebodings from past, from both past and future. So here, here the thing. Oh, sorry. This is, of course, written uh, written and directed by Stanley Kubrick. Uh, sorry, directed by Stanley Kubrick, written by Stanley Kubrick with co-writer Diane Johnson. Of course, this is adapted from Stephen King's novel of the same name, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and Danny Lloyd. Dan, I got to tell you something. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd seen this film. Like I, I, I in my, no, I, I, I know all the beats of the film. Mm-hmm. I know all the key moments of the film. But th- this movie's two and a half hours long, and there were like really long sequences where I was like, I do not remember this. So part of me thinks I have never seen this film. I'm sure I've told this story on the podcast before. I've seen this movie way too young. <laughs> Admittedly, way too young. I was homesick from school, maybe like ten years old. My mom was had to go to work for a couple hours. So she's like, don't turn the stove on. Don't open the door for anyone. I'll be back in a couple hours. Watch some TV. Yo, that's As classic, classic leaving, 90s. Oh, classic 90s. Just <laughs> be safe. Yeah, exactly. Good, good luck. Uh, I was flicking around the channels and as she's about to go out the door, I turned on The Shining and it was like the opening credits. And she goes, oh, this is a good movie. This director like really was particular about the things that he was doing. Like she said like, oh, he was like, like he did a lot of weird shit in this movie. You should watch it. And I was like, okay. She left. I watched it. I told this to my brother a couple years ago and he goes, yeah, that explains a lot. <laughs> Which I don't know what that means. That's, uh, that's honestly, that's insane. And it was like, she was going to work, so it was like nine in the morning. <laughs> oh, okay. At least you have that going for you, though. It's not. Oh, as I would have been know. terrified if it was at night. Yeah, no one, no one would have wanted that. Um, so the the poster that I'm looking at right now says a masterpiece in modern horror. 
What, what do you think we consider to be modern? Because, and I say, I ask this question not to be, you know, silly, but there was a whole, like this whole act one, all I could think of was Midsummer, um, in that it being, it, it felt really creepy from the beginning. The slow burn. The, the slow burn of it all. It, you know, we were in daylight for most of it. And then, you know, as we, as we go through the movie, it just gets darker and darker and darker. And of course there's like daytime, obviously, but it just get it, it gets much, much more dark. But like the whole beginning bit just felt off even, even in a the way. Even the changes, it's like summer to winter. Right. Right. And yeah, so I, I, I had an interesting, I had an interesting time. I know I asked the question about what makes it a, a modern horror uh, in terms of time, in terms of like, it was 1980, which is about what, 30, 40 years ago. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, but then of course I think about Ari Aster, who's now making modern horrors and, and doing a fantastic job of it, of that now. But um yeah, so watching this first, watching this through the first, uh, for what felt like the first time in my adult life, I was upset by a lot of it in the way that this movie has been bound to make people upset and think about things that they don't want to think about. But I also thought, I, I don't know. There was something so slow about it that it really creeps me out. And then there was something about the nature of this film that d- doesn't really explain anything that really, one, upset me in a, in a, a movie going way of like, how dare you not explain to me what's happening? Like the guy in the bear suit? Yeah. What's his deal? What? What the, what the fuck? What? <laughs> what's his I was, deal? I, was, I remember that as a child, because it's pretty <laughs> scarring. Uh, and I've seen it since then. I've seen it several times. I love this movie. Uh, but I was really, I haven't seen it in a couple of years. So I was hoping that this time around, I'd be like, oh, maybe I missed something. Right. Nope. No, no explanation whatsoever. No. Um, so I, the, the, the one thing that I am, I, I'm critical of this movie about, and I'm, o- I'm only going to be critical because I know you love it, is again the lack of the lack of knowing what's going on makes it both incredibly frightening and infuriating, right? Because mm-hmm. I want there to be some sort of logic. Because so like so I can reconcile it in my mind about what's going on. So I can comfort myself, not because it needs to be explained. Um, because just the idea of like going to some hotel and then being possessed by whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. It's a completely frightening thought. Um, I mean, I think that what makes it scarier. I think that's what makes a lot of horror movies that I guess this would be part of the modern horror aspect yeah. is uh, I think the difference between, I guess, classic horror and modern horror would be monsters versus people. Sure. Sure. Because yeah, with psychological horror, it's like monsters, Frankenstein, vampires, right. zombies, but the modern horror, it's real people doing things that people no. actually are capable of, not right. anything too out of the ordinary, which makes it terrifying because you're like, oh shit, people actually kill their families. People go crazy. Right. People get like cabin fever like that. Yeah. This could happen. <laughs> right, right, right. Which I, makes I think it that- even more terrifying than any zombie or monster or anything like that. I, I think, I think, and I'm sure I've talked about this when we talked about uh, Thin Blue Line, but I think that's why we're so into true crime, right? Like, it's just the idea that like these crazy out of pocket things continue to happen. 
but it could very well be our neighbor. It could very well be us. It could very well be the, somebody that we know. Like my dad has chased me in a maze with an ax before. It's a thing that could happen. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and then the sun came up and he was completely fine. Took me, took me to IHOP and I was a-okay. <laughs> Icicles on his nose. Uh, so just to, to reveal, <laughs> to reveal probably too much about myself and, uh, I think the statue of limitations has ended because I am now an adult. My father uh, put a plastic bag over my head and scared, obviously scared the shit out of me. Yeah. But, <laughs> so, all right. Instead of like the shock value one, one sentence, like we're, we're playing around and like, mm. you know, tried to murder me. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Uh, what, what, which father hasn't? Which father hasn't tried to murder their offspring? Uh I mean, no, it, like all, uh, all, all jokes aside, it wasn't a serious thing and it doesn't matter why, but, I th- but like after that, I thought, huh, that could have really happened. Like he could have yeah, really like, murdered me. There's a fine line between like, ah, what a crazy joke. And like, oh shit. Could have murdered me. Uh, um, but you know, you, yeah, you hear about the, these crazy things that happen all the time and you're like, like Casey Anthony, uh, which I continue to bring up. Uh, now, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. Sorry. Back to the movie. I said to you off mic. I think I think there are a few elements of this movie that get praise, and a few elements of this movie that don't get praise. And I'd like to shine a light on a little bit of both. I don't think Stanley Kubrick, as a director, gets enough praise for this film. I think when we talk, I think, I think generally, and I could be wrong. I, I could, there's many sides to that, what I'm about to say. It's not holistically true, but I think when we talk about Stanley Kubrick, we, we think of his like later hits, like, um, Eyes Wide Shut, I believe it was Kubrick or like some of his hits before then who, by the way, this man does not miss just going to say it. Uh, but then we, when we talk about the shining, we usually talk about Stephen King. We're talking about Jack Nicholson and we're talking about different technical aspects of the film, but we're not talking about Kubrick. We're never talking about Shirley Duvall and we're not talking about Danny Lloyd um, in ways that I think are a bit of a tragedy because Kubrick has been known to do these like, should I say stressful, uh, like movie making experiences of like really, if like, I think if there is a such thing as like a method director of like really being into the film and really trying to encompass everything into the film for the film by the film, he's one of those people. Uh, yeah, I mean, Shelley like, Duvall said that like he goes to, he just does take after take after take after take, like right. up to like 30, 40 takes of like, not just a normal scene, <laughs> like scenes of her like running and screaming and crying and carrying Danny where she's right. like, I physically can't carry him anymore. And he's like, do it again. <laughs> again. So when she's like running and screaming, it's like, oh, she's actually exhausted from doing this over and over and over again. Yeah. Which is insane. Uh, Danny, I, I, I must tell you that apparently, according to, speaking of, of Danny, according to Wikipedia anyway, Stanley Kubrick was so protective of Danny during this movie that he, the kid, didn't know he was making a horror movie. Uh and and the, that scene you're talking about where he's carrying, where, where Shelley Duvall's carrying Danny is not actually Danny, but a life-size uh, doll, I think. Oh, weird. But I'm sure it weighs as much as a child, which it sounds like great, you know, insane. That's funny because uh, I wonder what they told him 
Because there's a <laughs> lot of scenes where he's just staring. And yeah. I wonder if they're just like, hey, just look that way. Because <laughs> he's just like a thousand yard stare. Uh, so uh, this is all I know, really. But apparently they told him it was a drama and not a horror. And apparently him making, is it Tony? Like with his finger, like doing this thing with his finger. Oh, yeah. That was, apparently that Tanya was him. Doing- Miss Torrance. Yeah. Oh, it's so fucking creepy. I remember uh, watching that. Again, as a 10-year-old, whose name is Danny, <laughs> watching them being like, what the fuck? <laughs> what are they doing to Danny's around the world? My, my mom came home and I was like, Danny isn't here, Mrs. Torrance. <laughs> Danny isn't here, Mrs. Taverner. And did, was she like, good boy? <laughs> She's like, it worked. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I just yeah. to this kid a lot. The staircase scene? Yep. Guess how many times they did it? How many oh, times they shot it? How many? A hundred. No. And 27 times. No. That's the scene where the baseball bat where he's like, I'm just going to bash your head in. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Which is uh, fantastic. Jack Nicholson. What a nut. <laughs> all right. So, so I'm, I'm talking about all these people and I think we talk, I, I don't think we talk about Jack Nicholson as an actor nearly enough. I know he's older in age. We don't see him anymore, but the same way I love Gene Wilder and his like quiet intensity and the way he's able to just build up this intensity or like, or like comedy, like he's able to like really build from a real place and you get to see that unfold. We don't talk about how Jack Nicholson's craziness and we do caricatures of him all the time. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> for for those listening, I just did the Jack Nicholson face with my eyebrows. <laughs> like his, his physicality is so... Like he has such control over his body and and like just the way he embodies a, a character, that it just brings all these intense moments, like all those like Dude, little so arguments he was having. Even I mean, just to offshoot really quick on a tangent of his other movies, like I watched um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest recently. Oh yeah, so intense, mm. but also so controlled and like so yes. tight with his performance. Uh, his Joker, amazing. The Departed Joker was amazing. Great, great movie. Great old Jack Nicholson. We 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 listen. I don't know what Jack Nicholson is up to now. I know he's not dead. So we need I to know he, uh, before the pandemic, he was a frequenter of uh, Lakers games. Oh yeah, true that, true that, true that. And, he loves uh, the Lakers. When they, when they show his when they show him on the jumbotron, they just say Jack because that's who he is. They don't have to say Jack Nicholson. Everyone knows. Nah, just Jack. Uh, what was his last film that he was in? I don't know. I remember that one with uh, Diane Keaton. How do you uh, know? Is that is that right? No. Uh, is it? Yeah. As good as it with gets. Pa- oh, no. He was in one with... Uh, oh, that, sorry. How do you oh, know no, was yeah. his last movie, but it was with oh. Reese Witherspoon, Owen Wilson, and Paul Rudd. Oh, I've never even heard of that movie. No, of course you haven't. It's a romantic comedy that came out in December <laughs> in December of, uh, what did I say, 2010. So of course you haven't heard of this movie. Damn, his last movie was 2010. Yeah. You know what? Stay on top. Quit while you're ahead. Quit while you're ahead. But, uh, all right, I'll, I don't want, I don't want any fingers from you. Anger management, I mean, fucking great performance. Come on, about, about Schmidt. Come on, bro. About Schmidt. Come on, on Mars Attacks. Come on, bro. <laughs> um, oh, I had, but like, like, let's talk about Shelly Duvall Shelly for Duvall. a hot second olive oil olive oil come on son first of all beautiful 
Although if anyone looks like that's the most accurate casting ever. Her is olive oil. True story. True story. Uh, so she was not in a lot. You can see her credits stop in the early 90s. And she was like, nope, I am done with this. Oh, actually, no, that's not true. As an actress, she continued doing a few other things here and there. Uh, ending mostly in twenty uh, 20, 2002. Was this like part but, of the reason she... Stop yeah. <laughs> Apparently, like I, I read some like headline, so I haven't exactly gone through it, but I read some headline about her, her like trauma from from this movie, and I think her relationship with the industry was just kind of strained. I, I, I like if you, I, I was trying to find photos of her as a like after this, and and I don't mean necessarily now because she's in her like I don't know what seventies or whatever but just trying to find photos of her in like the nineties because she's very much, she very much has like this weird, weird, but beautiful. Uh, that's not an insult in any mm-hmm. way. Weird, but beautiful, like kind of look. Well, I'm like the nineties would have loved her, right? Like the eighties mm-hmm. would have loved like mod squad or, you know, whatever version of, of Shelby Duvall we would have gave her. But I think, and again, I, I don't know the entire story, but I think she just kind of gave up and had this kind of, kind of like strange relationship. Like she was in Annie Hall, but I was like in the seventies. Um, yeah, I, I can't. I can't say I know why, but I'm. I'm it, fe- it from what we saw of her in The Shining, it feels fairly sad to not have seen her move forward. Yeah, um, but on the on the flip side, whenever someone leaves Hollywood, who was in like a big movie or had like a substantial career, yeah, it always kind of makes sense. Like, I, it's always like, you know what? It's probably for the best. Mm. Because just based on shit you hear of people staying in that world too long. I mean, word. Word up. I mean, listen, Danny Danny Lloyd, who was the child, has three credits to his name. The Shining, Will, the autobiography, uh, the autobiography of G. Gordon Liddy, which is a TV movie. And then 2019's Doctor Sleep, which is a sequel of The Shining. Oh, he's in Doctor Sleep? Oh, I didn't know that. He's in, he, he's in Doctor Sleep. It says Spectator. As his, oh, he's not even Danny? I don't think he's even Danny. Oh, isn't uh, Ewan McGregor? I don't know the story of Dr. Sleep. I kind of didn't want to... I didn't want to read it in case I wanted to watch it. I um, think it's just Danny as an adult. No, is it? I think it is, yeah. I think it's like him after all this, like grown yep. up and... Years following the events of The Shining, a now adult Danny Torrance must protect a young girl from similar powers, sorry, with similar powers from a cult known as the True Knot, who prey on children with powers to remain immortal. Okay. So he goes, hey, do you like ice cream? <laughs> you know how I you like, like ice cream? cream? <laughs> Give me your powers. Um... So speaking of sequels, I, sorry, not speaking of sequels, but speaking of books that this, that these movies are made off of, have you read The Shining? I've never read The Shining. Uh, for those who don't know, I work in book publishing <laughs> and the publisher I work for is Stephen King's publisher. So I have plenty of his books. Of I've, books. Worked, I've worked on a couple. Uh, he's our bread and butter. He's our, yeah, because he can do whatever the hell he wants. Honestly, the main reason I haven't read it is because two reasons. They're Go all on. so long. They're so long. Oh my God. They're so long. If I can find an audiobook, I'll listen. Maybe. 
But also, <laughs> I love this movie so much, and I know the book and the movie are pretty different. Okay, I did not know. Like, I think they're significantly different. Again, I haven't read okay. it, so I'm not sure. So I don't, I kind of want to maintain the movie as the the story in my mind. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. I kind of want to watch Dr. Sleep just so, so I can kind of figure out what the end of Danny's journey is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I here's what I imagine in terms of like this one critical gripe that I had with the film of not knowing like how things kind of, just like the story of things. I, I feel like the book has a lot of the answers that I need to satisfy all of these loose ends. Um, because like, even like the, like not even like all jokes aside, the bear, the guy in the bear suit. love it. We all know what he was doing in that room. Mm-hmm. What's up? What's up? What's up with the girls? What's up with the girls? The twins? What's up with oh, like those are the daughters that got killed? No, no. Sorry. I oh. didn't know that. I was no, like, no, was that not on yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. But like, do, do they have like an act? Like what's this? Because Danny has The Shining, we're aware of like the supernatural aspect of the film straight away. But then as Jack Nicholson beca- becomes more cabin fever-ish, if that's what we're calling him, more into this world, I can't delineate maybe not what's real versus not what's real, but I can't delineate like this quote unquote, like evilness that's taking over. So like, can he see this? Is, is this like, like, there seems to be two different stories being at play that work together perfectly. But again, because there's no straight question and answer and all of these things being answered for you by the end of the film, I'm like, Oh, I wonder, I wonder how this actually, like what this, how this mechanism actually works in the mm-hmm. film, which is me thinking too much about it. And that's not me saying anything bad about it, but me actually being more intrigued and interested in what the film is telling me. So I want to ask these questions back. That's all. I mean, I think those things add to the psychosis of the movie. Cause you're like, they what is even, yeah. What is what? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, is he possessed? Is Danny possessed? Is he just seeing because he has the shining? Right. Right. And then they and then I thought I was getting all of my answers when the black guy eventually makes his fucking way back to the to the cabin or to the hotel. Mm-hmm. And then he immediately dies. He went through a lot. <laughs> Which doesn't happen in the book. That's one of the differences between the book and this. In what, the book, he dies? Jack is the only person who dies. Okay. Very interesting. I, I think what's it's up, only Stanley him. Right? Rick? Why are you killing the only black man in the movie? Yeah, what's up, asshole? Yo, which do um, which do ask question? Dead, dead. Sex parties. Uh, I, I kind of, I, I love the idea. Is wait, sorry, is Eyes Wide Shut Stanley Kubrick or is that Vanilla Sky? Because I feel like Vanilla Sky and Eyes Wide Shut came out. Eyes Wide Shut is Stanley Kubrick, but Vanilla Sky is also someone. It's Tom Cruise in both of them. I know, no, no, I, I know, I know who it is. Cameron oh. Crow. There we go. Cameron Crow. He got. He became like a born again Christian. Did he? I oh, know. I'm thinking of a. Uh, is that Cameron Crow? Who are you thinking about? You don't know. I don't you know. Don't no, know. not Cameron Crow. There's someone else. Cameron in his name. Cameron Diaz. No. James Cameron? No. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen the 
there's a documentary called uh, Room 271. I I know of it. I have not seen it. And it's about all the... Because this production is like many other Kubrick movies, like many other required watching movies. The production <laughs> itself is very storied. Right. Just because he's such a crazy director. Right. Uh, so there's so many conspiracy theories and ideas about hidden messages and what's really going on, what the bear person means, what all these things mean. So there's a oh, documentary really? about people talking about the movie and all these different things. Like for instance, the, the pattern on the rug yeah. is shaped like the launch pad in Cape Canaveral. Okay. So there's rumors that uh, Kubrick is the one who filmed the moon landing, the fake moon landing <laughs> in 1969. Hilarious. And people thought that that was kind of his nod because also Danny's wearing a sweater with the Apollo 11 rocket on his sweater. Right. So it's like, oh my God, he's telling us that he filmed the fake moon landing. That's so funny. It's a pretty fun watch because there's a lot of people going out on a lot of limbs, but then every now and then there's something that you're like, oh shit, I can see that. (laughs) Yeah. Word. Um, with, I, I just added it to the list of things to talk about on the new Patreon whenever we, we get around to it. Because uh, it feels like a good follow-up to to all this. Um, Dan, I, I don't have any other notes to this movie. I don't know about you, buddy. Let's talk about the Steadicam. Oh, my gosh. How could I forget? How could I forget? Go on. Because that opening sequence is probably one of the most beautiful slash disorienting opening sequences of any movie I can think of. Sure. While also having one of the worst title, <laughs> like title credit <laughs> opening, opening title sequences. It's sure. like a ugly blue PowerPoint font, uh, upward scroll. Yeah. That's so fast that you can't even read the names in time. It's yeah, it wasn't terrible. My favorite. It was not my favorite. It like, it looks like a, it looks like something you would put, as a placeholder before you find the real font you're going to use. <laughs> it's, it's just like Times New Roman, baby blue, <laughs> scrolling at twice the speed of everything else. Uh, so you're not a fan is what you're saying. Uh, not a fan of the text, but yeah, yeah. the Steadicam shots, gorgeous, beautiful. So I, I, I said this before uh, off mic. This film was, was uh, one of the first half dozen films to use the Steadicam. Um, which is amazing. I I appreciate that fact. I also think the amount, first of all, I think once again, as someone in 2021, we all know what a city cam is. We all know the mechanics of it. Watching it now, I'm like, that's a city cam shot. That's a city cam shot. Is that a city cam shot? I mean, because all city cam shots aren't actually from a city cam, but knowing that that was being used, you're like, oh yeah, I can see it all over the film. But the thing about that is it gets, it, it's just so beautiful. It's, it gets used in such a way that is, it feels like, it feels like you're using a different paintbrush to still make the Mona Lisa. You know what I mean? It's not, you, you know, it, it's, it's not a detriment to the, to the film as a whole. Which is just not new, new, new information. I'm not saying anything that no one else has ever said about the city cam usage of this film. Also, Oregon looks so pretty. 
I want to go to Oregon, but or is Oregon or Oregon? Do you call it or- Oregon Trail? Oregon Trail? Oregon Trail? I don't Oregon? know. Oregon? I rarely if say you- Oregon Trail. <laughs> <laughs> if you're from a trail, please let us know how to pronounce it properly. Uh, really quick, these are the differences between the book and the movie. Sure. Um, the book is more focused on Danny rather than Jack. Mm-hmm. Uh the, uh, the the room number actually changes. This is part of the conspiracy because in the book, the room number is 217. In the movie, the room number is 237, which is approximately the amount of miles between Earth and the moon is 237,000 miles. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Which again adds to... <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Stanley Kubrick recorded the moon landing. It's a, it's a pretty convincing one if he did. I mean, they go into it where you're like, damn, I might believe them. But here's the thing. And here's the thing. I, even if it was proven to be true, are we saying worldwide 2021, no one has gone to the moon? There is no moon, Trey. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> is, are we just, is this just the Truman Show on like a large scale? It's just all a simulation. All of it. Um, what else you got? Anything? Uh, yes. Scroll faster, Danny. Uh, scroll, scroll faster. <laughs> I don't know. Read the book. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. Okay, fine. Fine. Listen, that said, uh, I'll go first since I picked the film. Uh yeah, of course this movie is required watching. They don't call that a classic for no reason. Although that's that's a terrible excuse, a terrible reasoning for why I'm saying this is required watching because it's the whole point of this this podcast is proving that classics don't need to be watched. Uh, but this movie is fantastic. I think it does so much to build this tension. I think you get performances from every single person that are phenomenal. Again, you get to see Kubrick despite how crazy he is as a director and shooting one scene a thousand times, that was a pretty good scene. That was a, like that staircase scene was fantastic. Um, and again, being able to, uh, as a director, writer uh, and all of this, being able to adapt something is not an easy task and cast this film. And, and really, I think everyone played that part in such a way that, that it's stuck in people's minds. Again, I, what I call it a masterpiece. I don't know, but it, but it, as a whole, this movie is fucking phenomenal as a package of this film. And there are, there are things that you can, threads that you can pull on, like, the, you know, this whole, this whole uh, conspiracy theories about, about Kubrick and this film and how, how it relates to this film. But yeah, I, I just think that it has, you, there's, there's nothing you can't look at and take away from. Does that make sense? There's, you can look at everything in this film and take away something from it to progress your your filmmaking needs. Just like my mom said 17 years ago, 18 she told years you. ago. She was she like, she literally said, pay attention to the little details in this movie because this director was very meticulous about what he was doing. And I was like, oh, do, okay. Do you think your mom knew about the whole moon landing thing? Is that, is that what she was telling you? <laughs> she's like, pay attention. <laughs> this is why your school is terrible. Like, open up your third eye. <laughs> Uh, really quick, while you were talking, I was able to read some uh, differences. Uh, <laughs> apparently, in the book, Danny and Jack have a stronger bond than Danny and Wendy. Okay. 
which adds to her like paranoia of the whole situation that and her sense. uneasiness. Um, also, Kubrick played down the abuse. You know, at the beginning, they're like, oh, Danny fell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was drunk. Uh, apparently, it's like much more apparent in the book. Yeah. Also, at the end, Wendy and Danny escape and Jack's stuck in the hotel and it explodes because of the boiler. But wow. because of special effects, they couldn't do that. So they were like, yeah, let's do a different ending. <laughs> let's just freeze him. Our let's favorite, one of our favorite gifts that I see around these days is, is Jack and Nicholson frozen. It's a great shot. That last yeah. shot of him. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Um, I, think I, I think I posted to my Instagram story every, every first cold day of the winter. <laughs> Jack oh, also, us. Yeah. in the movie, it's built on a Native American burial ground. And Ooh. in the book, it's just evil. <laughs> There's just an evil energy to it. I would have liked, again, in terms of reasoning, I would have liked the Native American burial ground thing. In terms of I like... So. Yeah. I think I, Stephen well, King does the... It's it's spooky a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I think that's the same thing as like Salem's Lot. They're just like, I don't know. It's just bad luck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, go for it. Let us know, bro. Uh, this movie is one hundred percent required. It is, I think, maybe the start of like the psychological thriller and the slow mm. burn of what we see in like Ari Aster movies or any other like modern non-fantastical like rooted in real world horror movies right uh performances are all fantastic almost too convincing in some (laughs) cases uh yeah there's a lot to unpack and look into in this movie and i think it again i think it other than the performances other than the production itself as far as just kubrick goes it really shows Maybe there's no such thing as too meticulous. <laughs> like I, every last detail, like you said, has, you could look into everything. Like I'm sure you could write a thesis about Jack throwing a tennis ball against the wall and find sure. something that unlocks something else. Sure. Uh, great movie. I, 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 just like you said, I, I think, listen, I think it's interesting when we as a people end up pointing fingers at people like this, like Kubrick was really intense because he cared about so much. And listen, he was very intense. I, I don't think I could do a scene, a, a, what do you say, a thousand some odd times? I just don't think I would have that. Oh, just don't think I would have that in me. Uh, but that said, I think, um, yeah, I just think when we look at people like Nolan or I don't know. Just there's so many other filmmakers who take their craft so seriously that we shouldn't really point fingers at what they do uh, as as something negative. But that said, I think yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just think I, I just think there's so many people who take their craft very seriously and and are very meticulous, and we don't really point fingers at them. Like you know, Joaquin Phoenix is known to be incredibly in character and be method and do all these things. And we, we point at him and go this crazy lunatic, but then like Christian Bale will do the same thing. And then we're like, Oh my gosh, give him all of the Oscars. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, I think, yeah, anyways, I, I think it all works out in the end. That said, I'll wrap it up, Dan. I went on this like last minute tangent for no reason at all. Mm-hmm. 
Um, listen, if you enjoyed the show, please be sure to share it with your friends, with your family. Rate and review us. Leave us some stars. We, we'd appreciate it. Uh, and make sure you subscribe because that's what we also need. Uh, if you want to hear more from the show, we're at Required Watching. If you want to hear from me, I'm at Trade.Eps on Instagram and Trade.Eps on Twitter. What about you, Dan? I'm at Danny Tavener on all platforms. Word. Uh, that said, thanks so much, dude. I'll see you next week. Bye. Latest.